0: Let's uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You so much for Your love. I thank You for this opportunity that we have now to look to Your Word. God, I pray that You'd prepare our hearts as we do so. God, we thank You that we can come before You in this way. God, we thank You that You have promised that You will build Your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And God, I pray now that You would just work mightily in and through us, that You would encourage us, that You would bless us, that You would help us to see and understand what You are telling us from Your Word, and that You would help us to live in light of it. God, help us to be doers of Your Word and not merely hearers of the Word. God, I pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning as well, that they would worship You in spirit and in truth. And God, that lives would be changed. God, that Your Gospel would go forth and that people would repent in faith and turn to You and follow You all the days of their lives. God, be with us and may we be leading that charge. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we had been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians and we spent nearly a year in 1 Corinthians kind of working our way through that book. And then Advent came and we worked our way through Advent And now we're actually going to be picking up in 2 Corinthians. I spent a lot of time praying about where we would go, what we would do, what what the next book was, and the deacons just continued to kind of look at me and say, 2 Corinthians comes after 1 Corinthians, pastor. So finally I actually decided to listen to their wise counsel and just uh, continue on. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And as we begin to do that, I just want to give you a little bit of a background. Second, the book of 2 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul. And there's several uh, communications that exist between Paul and the church in Corinth. If you remember in Acts chapter 18, I believe it is, Paul goes to Corinth. He plants a church there. He preaches the gospel people believe and he plants a church there. And he pastors the church there. He's there for about a year and a half. And then there's several correspondences back and forth. And we don't see, we don't get all of that correspondence. They wrote to Paul. Paul wrote back in 1 Corinthians. They seem to have written again. And he seems to be writing back again in 2 Corinthians. But we don't know every, all of the details of what they wrote. And there even seems to be another letter, maybe in this, mix, in this mix that we don't have. That does not mean that we are missing pieces of Scripture. God has given us... His Word, and He's given us that which we need. The other letters, we are not, they weren't intended for us to have. They were just personal letters written to the church. God has given us this Scripture to study and understand. But as we do so, we're going to try to piece together some of what was going on in Corinth. And Paul writes this letter. As you read this letter of 2 Corinthians, you begin to understand that Paul's writing this letter to defend his apostolic ministry. He's defending himself as an apostle. He's showing that he has been chosen of God and being used of God as an apostle. But in that way, it's a very personal letter. Paul's writing to this church that he once pastored and defending his apostleship. And he talks a lot about suffering in this letter. So, if there's ever a time when you felt like you needed to understand suffering and, and you needed to understand what it meant to suffer well, and you were trying to figure out where to turn in your Bibles, I would say 2 Corinthians is a great place to look. Today, we're going to be talking about suffering. So, today's message is titled God's Purposes in Our Suffering. And as I began to think about the way God orchestrated this message happening on January 1st, I couldn't help but be excited. I remember several years ago, I was uh, speaking at a New Year's Eve celebration at a church where I was a member, and I remember saying, uh, I've actually had, had spoken several times at this event and had said several times, you know, I'm excited to see what God has done, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do over this coming year. And the same is true for us today. But I had said, I had said, we're not sure exactly what God will do, but we know God is faithful, and we know that He will guide us through difficult waters when those difficult times come. And I actually said, you know, we can't even be sure that all of us who are sitting here tonight, this is what I said, will be here a year from now. And I remember saying that, and that very year, my father going home to be with the Lord, and I thought, I never thought that I would be saying that about Him. And then several years later, I said the same thing, and then God was moving me, moving my family to another state. You see, we don't know what this year holds, but we know that God is faithful, and we know that He has purposes even in the midst of suffering. So as we think about an upcoming year, which will hold many blessings and maybe many opportunities to suffer, I want you to lean heavily on God and His grace. I read a quote this week, it said this, Our suffering is the platform whereby God shows off His power, His love, His wisdom, His comfort, His grace, and His mercy. All things that are much less easily seen in a life of ease. So with that in mind, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1-11. through Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer." And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead." who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, and yet He will deliver us, you also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul begins this section by emphasizing the love and graciousness of God. Listen to the way he describes God in verses 3 and 4. Paul calls Him the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, and the One who comforts us in our affliction. He wants the readers to know that even in the midst of suffering, God not only is still good, but He is also still in control. One of my favorite scripture references is Romans 8, 28 through 29. And if you've been around me for any length of time, you know that I love to talk about Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we talk about how we know that God works all things together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. And we love to cro- quote Romans uh, 28, but we miss sometimes 29. And we we forget that the 29 explains to us that the, that the good in verse 28 is being conformed into His Image It's being made like Jesus. What Romans 8, 28 and 29 tells us is that God is working all things together to make us more like Christ. And that is good. So that we know that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, God is working together all those things to make us more like Him. That's why Paul could write to the believers in Philippi and he said, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel. And he goes on to say, I'm imprisoned, and yet these circumstances have happened for the greater progress of the Gospel. You see, Paul understood that God's thoughts were not his thoughts. And that God's ways were not his ways. He understood, as Proverbs sixteen nine tells us, that the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You see, he wanted the Corinthian believers to know that God was still in control even in the midst of suffering, His suffering, but he also wanted them to know that God cared about His suffering and their suffering. So he said, God's in control and God cares. He's the God of mercy and comfort. That's why Psalm 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Or Isaiah 49.13, Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. The point is, folks, that God comforts His children. Those who are His, He comforts even in the midst of suffering. And He uses suffering, He uses that comfort, for the good of His children. These two things go together. In other words, the comfort He provides when we suffer is not an aside to Him fulfilling His purposes in our suffering. The comfort He provides is so that He can fulfill His purposes in our suffering. That's why in verses 3 and 4, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction So that, blessed be God who does this, who comforts us, so that. And then he goes on to tell us some of the ways God uses not just our suffering, but His comfort in our suffering. Now as a side note, I think it's important to address this issue of suffering. And to understand that sometimes we suffer because of our sin. Sometimes we suffer because of other people's sin. And sometimes we suffer because of just divinely ordered circumstances that a hurricane may come through here and that's a divinely ordered circumstance that isn't necessarily the result of sin. Or somebody may sin against me and it may cause me to suffer. Or I may sin myself and cause myself to suffer. Tim Keller has rightly said, Some suffering is given in order to chastise and correct a person for wrongful patterns of life. We might think of the case of Jonah, who's imperiled by the storm uh, uh, that's going on around him. Some suffering is given not to correct past wrongs, but to prevent future ones, as in the case of Joseph, who's sold into slavery. And some suffering has no purpose other than to lead a person to love God more ardently for himself alone, and so discover the ultimate peace and freedom that exists in doing so. So the point of today's message is not to talk about every reason why suffering happens, other than to briefly say that God fulfills His purposes in suffering. Instead, it's to say how God uses suffering. God uses suffering when we rightly respond to His comfort in the midst of it. So without further delay, let's look at our text for, the, for three specific ways God intends to use suffering in the lives of His children. The first point in our sermon outline is, number one, suffering equips us for ministry. Number one, suffering equips us for ministry. Paul says in verses 1-4, through he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted By God. He says, blessed be God because God comforts us so we can comfort others. But that's not all He says. He also says He comforts us in all our affliction so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction. And as I reflected on these words this week, I couldn't help but think, those words seem to be awfully inclusive. It just seems like I couldn't help but think, are you sure, God? Are, are you sure that this is really what you mean? That, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. He comforts us in all our afflictions so we can comfort anyone. This passage says that God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction. Affliction. Imagine if we actually believed that to be true. Imagine if we actually lived in light of that. You see, instead, sometimes we think I need to find somebody who's lived the exact same circumstance as me, who's gone through the exact same things as me, and that's not what the passage says. Certainly, there are times when somebody comes into your life who has experienced the exact same kind of suffering, but our hope is not in finding somebody who's been through the exact same trials. Our hope is in the God of comfort. The God of hope who comforts us in our affliction. All of our afflictions so that we can comfort others regardless of their affliction. You see, when somebody has experienced the comfort of God, they can apply that comfort of God to other situations and help people walk through suffering. Because our hope is not in man, but in God Himself. Charles Spurgeon, a man who was acquainted with grief and suffering, said, I would go to the deeps a hundred times to cheer a downcast spirit. It is good for me to have been afflicted. Can you imagine? It is good for me to have been afflicted, that I might know how to speak a word in season to one that is weary." notice that paul makes his statements personal in verses 5 through 7 of our text this isn't just theory for paul paul isn't just theorizing saying you know if if we were if we suffer it enables us to minister to others instead he's saying i live this verses 5 through 7 for just as the sufferings of christ are ours in abundance so also our comfort is abundant through christ i have suffered abundantly but God has comforted me abundantly, he says. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. He says, I've been afflicted. I've suffered. But I've felt God's comfort. And my confidence is that if I know that I've felt God's comfort, that you will too. Regardless of your specific circumstance. See, Paul in faith sees his own suffering as an opportunity to be better equipped for ministry, to better care for others who experience suffering. I remember one time, I received a call late at night. This is uh, somebody said, this was when swine flu was, was a, a big thing. And somebody said, my child, my infant, has contracted swine flu and they're being life flighted. And I really had no idea what to do as a fairly young, new pastor and just hopped in my car and drove to, to Main Med. I think I drove so fast, I actually, I actually beat the life flight helicopter there, which. That's probably not a good thing. So I, but I got to Maine Med and they said, the life flight helicopter hasn't arrived yet. So I sat and I waited. And I didn't really know what to say other than to just sit there in silence and pray and say a little prayer. But knowing that God had comforted me through many trials enabled me to comfort them. I hadn't experienced the same thing. But I knew that God was a God of comfort and that God was going to comfort them and that enabled me to sit in that room and pray. Not to find strength within me to minister to this family, but instead to look to the One who could comfort them. So having seen the first point in our sermon outline, number one, suffering equips us for ministry. Let's consider the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is suffering builds our faith. Number two, suffering builds our faith. Paul goes on in verses 8-10 through to say, "...for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that, notice that again, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope. Now lest you think this is a self-help message, whereby we find strength within ourselves so that we can endure life's difficulties. Notice again what Paul says. He says, all of this happened so that so that we would not trust in ourselves. You know, it sure seems like Paul went through some pretty deep waters. The experience Paul is talking about here is made very clear in the New Living Translation. Verses 8 and 9, he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises from the dead. You see, the world says, you can do it. The world says, believe in yourself. Trust in yourself. And that is secular humanism. That's not Christianity. Jesus doesn't expect us to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Paul doesn't say, you know, I went through some difficult waters, but I persevered. I walked through it. I knew I had the strength within myself. Instead, he says, praise God that He brought me to the end of myself. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that guy who holds out and my own strength, who continues to, to rely on my own strength so that God has to take me further and further and further into the pit before I realize that I need Him. Far, It would be far better to get to the end of ourselves much quicker and say, God, I need You. Cry out to Him today. Don't wait until you are in that pit of despair. Paul doesn't want the Corinthian believers to rely on themselves. He wants them to rely on God. And Paul understood that it was suffering, never thinking he would live through it, that had caused him to rely on God. You know, I fly periodically, not too often, and I love to fly, but I'm not a big fan of taking off or landing. I have a friend who's a pilot, and I, I asked him, I said, "It must be a, one time I said, it must be a real exciting job, and he said, not really. It's about five minutes of sheer terror, followed by hours of boredom, and then five minutes of sheer terror when you land again. And, and really, that's what I experience when I fly. That I literally, I get in the plane, and I don't worry too much about many things, but I get in the plane and I think there is no way this thing is getting off the ground. It cannot, phys- I took physics, I understand that it's supposed to fly, but there's no way this is getting off the ground without divine intervention. That God is going to have to actually lift this piece of heavy metal into the air. And as I experience that, I have to rely on God. I sit in that seat and I say, I have no ability to get this plane in the air, I'm like that when I'm sick too. If uh, you talk to Kim, you'll know that I can get a sniffle or a cold and suddenly I'm laying on the sofa praying to die. I'm like, Lord, just take me. Because I get, so, I get to the end of myself and I realize there's nothing I can do to make myself better. I just have to wait on God. Praise God for those situations. And that's what suffering does in our lives. That's what Paul said. I got to a place where I had to look to God because I couldn't trust in myself. You see, trusting in ourselves is a dangerous place to be. So, suffering or being in a situation where we have nowhere else to turn but to God is actually an act of God's grace. God is gracious when He brings us to that place, when He takes us to the bottom of the pit, and all we can do is look up. Oftentimes, one of the hardest things to fathom or come to grips with is that... Suffering and hardships, whether they're the result of our sin or somebody else's sin or divinely ordered circumstances, that they serve to strengthen our faith. That's one of the hardest things to come to grips with. Because whenever suffering happens in my life, I don't know about yours, but in my life, I immediately say, why God, why? And yet, I have to come to grips with the fact that it strengthens my faith. Scripture makes it clear that regardless of why, whether it's because of my sin or somebody else's sin or even circumstances, that God uses that circumstance to strengthen me. Scripture says that suffering that is brought about by my sin is clear. Scripture that is brought about by other people's sin is clear and it serves to change us. Look at Psalm 119, or 119 verses 67-68. through 68. Psalm 119, verses 67-68. The psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep Your Word. You are good and do good. Teach me Your statutes. He says, before, before I was afflicted, I did whatever I wanted, but when suffering came, it changed me. It caused me to repent and to keep Your Word. Or Hebrews 12, verses 4-7. through 7, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have not you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not Discipline. Scripture is clear that God sometimes brings suffering into our lives because of our sin. But in that, He wants us to grow and change. Scripture also makes it clear that God often even uses suffering that is brought about by other people's sin to cause us to grow. In Acts 16, verses 16 through 30. This is a longer passage, but I want to read this for you. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. So there's this girl who's following them around. That she, Paul says, come out of her. That tells this evil spirit to come out of her. And it does. And, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans." So they sinned against Paul and Silas. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Sounds like they are suffering because of other people's sin. They did no wrong. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stalks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And as he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, Paul and Silas were suffering because of someone else's sin. But God was going to use it to grow Paul, to grow Silas. That About midnight, in the midst of being locked in this jail cell, they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And the prisoners started listening. And then, the jailer himself says, at the end of this says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Talking about immeasurably more. God doing immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. The situation where men are suffering because of other people's sin, but God uses it for good in their lives and in the lives of others. Finally, Scripture also makes it clear that God uses suffering that is brought about by divinely ordered circumstances. So we see suffering because of our sins, suffering because of the sin of others, but also suffering because of divinely ordered circumstances. Circumstances that happen because God Causes them to happen or allows them to happen that may not be the result of sin at all. And He does this to grow and change us just like the other reasons. Consider Job in the midst of great calamity. Job 1, verses 20-22. through 22. Then Job arose. He just, he's been informed he lost everything. He arose. He tore his robe. He shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. In the midst of this suffering, not because of sin, but because of circumstance, he still worships God. Or James 1, verses 2-4. through Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, Scripture tells us that God uses suffering that is brought about by our sin, suffering that's caused by the sin of others, and even suffering that's caused by divinely ordered circumstances. He uses that to build our faith, to grow and change us, and to mold us and make us into the image of Jesus. So having seen, number one, suffering equips us for ministry, and number two, suffering builds our faith, let's look thirdly at our third and final point in our outline. Suffering unites us in prayer. Suffering unites us in prayer. Let's look at verses 10 and 11, starting at the end of verse 10. We read this, And He will yet deliver us, you also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of the many. See, Paul is confident that God will deliver him. He says he will yet deliver us, but he also says that the Corinthian believers will help through prayer. Being united in prayer should be a regular part of our lives. Unfortunately, I think we far too often fail to see the importance of corporate prayer. Maybe we speak of its importance and we talk about how we need to pray together. But that importance doesn't actually manifest itself into action enough. That is until calamity happens. If we were to have a major tragedy here in South Thomaston tomorrow, the natural response would be for us to say, we need to get together for prayer. If another 9-11 happened in our country, the natural response is, we need to get together for prayer. We need to see the importance of corporate prayer day in and day out. Because we know that God wants us to pray. By Psalm 50, verse 15, God says, Call upon Me in the day of trouble, and I shall rescue you, and you will honor Me. Call upon Me, I will rescue you, and you will honor Me. That's the natural order of things. And that's why Paul wants others to pray for him as well. He's confident that God's going to rescue him but he also wants others to praise God when God does rescue him. He says so that many thanks, so that thanks may be given by many persons. I want you to pray for me so that when God rescues me, many thanks may be given by many persons. See Paul knows that God is going to use this situation for his good and for God's glory, and when he does, he wants people to have prayed about it. So that Many people will praise God when they see the prayer answered. You see, if we believe that God is faithful and that He's going to deliver us, then we should be praying to that end so that when that prayer is answered, we will praise God. One of the beauties of corporate prayer is the fact that the more people that are earnestly praying, the more thanks are given when those prayers are answered. I can stay home and I can pray for things to happen. But when we pray collectively and then we meet and we say, you're not going to believe what happened. Andrew, baby Andrew, got a heart transplant. Many praise are offered up to God. When we pray together and then when God answers that prayer, there's many praise. Many more people thanking God. And you know what? God loves to be thanked. God is about His own glory and rightfully so. Since prayer has been accurately described as agreeing with or cooperating with God, it stands to reason that God would want many of His children united, not only with each other, but also united in Him. That we connect with each other as we connect to God. So by way of review, we've seen that suffering equips us for ministry, suffering builds our faith, and suffering unites us in prayer. So here's the big question. So how do we, both individually and corporately, specifically apply all of this to our lives here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take these truths that, God, that suffering equips us for ministry, suffering builds our faith, and suffering unites us in prayer, and how do we live in light of this? How do we apply it? Well, as individuals, when we suffer, we should recognize that that's an opportunity to relate to others. That when we suffer, we should lean on God for comfort, the God of all comfort, so that we can comfort others. I've never had a baby who had a heart transplant. Who who got the flu and had to be life flighted. I've never had that happen. But you know what? I've experienced suffering and the comfort of God. Therefore, I can point to the comfort of God in this person's life. I recognize that suffering equips me for ministry. All of us should recognize that in our lives. Secondly, we should recognize as individuals that suffering builds our faith. That we need to be at the end of our rope more often. That when we're relying on ourselves and our own strength, it's a dangerous place to be. You know, I get up every Sunday morning. I usually get up around four thirty, five o'clock, somewhere in there. And I'll get up, and I, almost every Sunday, shame on me for the Sundays that it's not true, almost every Sunday I start by saying, God, I can't do this. I can't do this again. It's too big of a burden. It's too big of a responsibility. What if I get it wrong? It's not so much about looking like a fool. or, or saying it's, it's about saying the wrong thing because it doesn't come from God's Word. And you know, at the end of the day, praise God for being in that position. Praise God. I hope I never get to the place where I say, you know what, I got this. I can do this this Sunday. Because that's a dangerous place to be. The getting to the end of our rope is where God wants us. And that often comes through suffering because it builds our faith. So as individuals, when you suffer, look to God to strengthen your faith. And thirdly, as an individual, suffering should drive you to your knees in prayer. Kim and I have suffered um, with some decisions of our eldest as of late. And as we've suffered, I've really become convinced that I should have spent more time in prayer as a young dad. And if there's any, any one thing that I, that I look back and I say, oh, I wish I had done different, it's especially prayer. You know, and I can't turn back that time, but I can tell you this, I can encourage, I can encourage other parents to be on their knees in prayer. I can encourage married couples to be on their knees in prayer. I can encourage people in the workforce who are working with unsaved people that they love and care for to be on their knees in prayer. That suffering should drive us to our knees to the God who can help. You see, Paul's suffering. And he doesn't say, guys, I need your help. He says, guys, I need you to pray to the One who can help. That's what he writes to the believers in Corinth. And then as as a church, corporately, how do we apply these things? The same thing. That we need to let our suffering be used for His good within the body. That we can relate to one another. We can come alongside one another and bear one another's burdens and carry each other like God has called us to do. We should let suffering build our faith. That as a church, we should be growing closer and closer to Jesus and leaning more and more on Him day by day. And suffering, whether it be as individual, individual suffering or suffering as a church body, That should drive us to our knees in prayer. That when we see a brother hurting, we should be in prayer for that brother and be united together and united to God. Suffering equips us for ministry, builds our faith, and unites us in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. God, I pray that you'd be with us, that you would just work mightily in our hearts and in our minds. God, that you would help us to not rely on ourselves or the strength that we have within us, but instead to rely on you when suffering comes our way. God, when we experience trials, but instead we would just look to you, the God of all comfort, that we would rely on you who provides comfort in those times of Suffering. And God, that we would let those times of suffering be used to equip us for ministry, to build our faith, and to unite us in prayer. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.